as many of you know, uh, John is in a, a, a role change, a transition, and, and for um, many of us, you know, one of our core values is no matter what my job is, I could be a custodian, I could be a teacher, I could be a preacher, I could be a missionary. If I'm where I'm supposed to be, in the center of God's will, there's no better place. There's no first or second class position. The pastor's job isn't necessarily more important than those other jobs. They're all, when I find where I'm supposed to be, that's perfection. So we are all about that, but uh, when you have somebody on their church staff go feeling like God's pulling them into more of an entrepreneurial arts world, it pushes that button. Do I really believe that? And we really believe that. God has been so over, all over what John is doing, and he has managed and communicated and been so honoring in this transition that it's just the best I've ever seen in 40 years of church world. No one's ever done it better than John has done it. And so we just feel so fabulous about his journey and what he's doing and how he's doing it. And uh, he's not leaving. He's just changing what he's doing. And so would you guys give, stand and give a big, big warm welcome to John Pitzer. Uh-oh. Thanks, guys. Feel the love. Mm-hmm. Man, that song, um, we used to listen to that song every week <laughs> on the way to church. Uh, there was a small group of us that would uh, go and steal the Hales truck every Sunday morning at uh, way before dawn and load it up with a bunch of stuff, and then we would stop by Dunkin' Donuts and, and get really bad food um, and coffee. And then we would just crank punk music on the way to church, get the blood pumping in our veins. We were all just like smushed in. I think we were, I think it was probably illegal. There were more of us than seatbelts were. <sighs> Good times, man. Good times. It's been a while. Um, okay. Well, yeah. So this is my grand finale, guys. Better make it good. <laughs> it's graduation Sunday. This is a momentous day for a lot of us and also for all of us. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay that out for you as I go, why it's momentous for all of us. But how many Bassam students we got in here? Where are you at? Come on. Today is your day. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to start my message with a book. Because who doesn't love Dr. Seuss? So this is, um, this is for me, because I'm selfish like that, um, and this is for all you students out there, and 
all the rest of you as well. Uh, so, oh, the places you'll go. Anybody never read this book before? Because I'm pretty sure, okay, yeah. Most of us have read this book. It's a fantastic book. Um, in short, you're not going to be able to see the pictures at all, but that's okay. The first few rows might. I'm going to read it to you like I'm a school teacher, though. Are you guys ready? Okay, here we go. This is a perfect book for graduation day. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own, and you know what you know. And you are the guy who'll decide where to go. You'll look up and down streets, look them over with care. About some you will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to go down any not-so-good street. And you may not find any you'll want to go down. In that case, of course, you'll head straight out of town. It's opener there in the wide open air. Out there, things can happen and frequently do to people as brainy and footsy as you. And when things start to happen, don't worry, don't stew. Just go right along. You'll start happening too. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers and soar to high heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang as soon you'll take the lead wherever you fly. You'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. Except when you don't. Because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch and your gang will fly on. You'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump. And the chances are then that you'll be stuck in a, stuck in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Unslumping yourself is not easily done. You will come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but mostly they're darked. A place you could sprain both your elbow and chin. Do you stare today out? Do you stare today out? <laughs> Do you dare to stay out? <laughs> Do you dare to go in? How much can you lose? How much can you win? And if you go in... Should you turn left or right, or right in three corners, or maybe not quite? Or go around back and sneak in from behind? Simple, it's not, I'm afraid you will find for a mind maker upper to make up his mind. You can get so confused that you'll start in to race down long wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles. Across weirdish, wild space, headed, I fear, toward a most useless place, the waiting place, for people just waiting, waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, 
or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting, waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. No, that's not you. Somehow you'll escape all that waiting and staying. You'll find the bright places where boom bands are playing. With banner flip-flapping once more, you'll ride high, ready for anything under the sky. Because Ready because you're that kind of guy. Oh, the places you'll go. There is fun to be done. There are points to be scored. There are games to be won. And the magical things you can do with that ball will make you the winningest winner of all. Fame! You'll be famous as famous can be with the whole wide world watching you win on TV. Except when they don't. (laughs) Because sometimes they won't. I'm afraid that sometimes you'll play lonely games too. Or, sorry, you'll play lonely games too. Games you can't win because you'll play against you. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone will be something you'll be quite a lot. And when you're all alone, there's a very good chance you'll meet things that scare you right out of your pants. (laughs) There are some down the road between hither and yon that can scare you so much you won't want to go on. But on you will go. Though the weather be foul, on you will go, though your enemies prowl. On you will go, though the hacken cracks howl. Onward up many a frightening creek, though your arms may get sore and your sneakers may leak. On and on you will hike, and I know you'll hike far and face up to your problems, whatever they are. You'll get mixed up, of course, as you already know. You'll get mixed up with many strange birds as you go. So be sure when you step, step with care and great tact. And remember that life's a great balancing act. Just never forget to be dexterous and deft. And never mix up your right foot with your left. (laughs) And will you succeed? Yes, you will indeed. 98 and three quarters percent guaranteed. (laughs) Kid, you'll move mountains. So be your name Bucksbaum or Bixby or Bray or Mordecai, Ali, Van Allen, O'Shea. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So get on your way. It's graduation day. It's a big deal. 
And this is my grand finale. It's a big deal. It's been, it's been nine years. Nine really amazing years here. This is my family. This is my home. This is, at this point, all I know as a grown-up. I'm off to some land like Abraham that God promised to show me, but he won't tell me where it is or what it looks like. <laughs> he just told me to trust him. That's my only job right now. So I'm like, okay, I can do that. I've done it before, and he's always showed up. So I just imagine that he'll just keep doing that. He's going to do that for you, too. Um, I want to I wanna prophesy a little bit over the church, but I'm not going to do it yet. I'll keep you hanging on the edge of your seat for that. Um, would you guys mind if I give you a little bit of tips and advice? I want to share a little bit. I shared a little bit of this um, at school this week as well with the students. I'm not very old. I'm 34. Um, and so, you know, I guess that's, it's all relative <laughs> to a child. I'm pretty old, <laughs> old, no fun. Uh, but to my parents, I'm, I'm just getting started. So it all depends. Um, but one thing my dad taught me when I was young, and it stuck with me my whole life, and it served me well, he said this, which I tell people this frequently in the school, and so if you want to write any one thing down, I would write this down. Like I said, I don't know that I could ever give you better advice than this extremely simple phrase, and yet, this extremely simple phrase is so easy to pass over, because like so many things in life that are simple yet valuable, we get bored with the simplicity and we ignore the value. Pay attention and be intentional. That's it. It's good advice. If you overlay that on your life, you will find that there is not a single area of your life that wouldn't benefit from you paying attention and being intentional. It's really good advice. Pay attention and be intentional. And it stuck with me. And so I have this tendency to pay attention wherever I am. So I try to learn things when I can. I try to learn from my mistakes. I try to learn from other people's mistakes. Um, that was another thing that my, <laughs> it was actually my sister who taught me that. She wrecked the car when, uh, when she was 15 and I was 10 I'm the youngest of four, and she, when she got done, she was so upset because she, you know, she had to help pay to get it fixed, right? And I mean, those those dollars are precious to a 15 year old. Um, and it was a painful experience for her, and and so she she pulled me aside and she said, "John, you learn from our mistakes." <laughs> she said, "If you can learn from when we screw up." You don't have to do the same thing. And I was like, that's really good advice. <laughs> and so I did. <clears throat> I started paying attention to whenever my, my siblings um, screwed up. 
and uh, started to, to learn from their mistakes so that I didn't have to make them myself. Now, I've had to make my own fair share of mistakes, um, and I will have to make my own fair share of more mistakes as, as time goes on, but what I can learn from others, I do. So anyway, I've learned a few things, and I am just going I'm, to I'm just gonna pick a smattering because there's, there's a lot of things, and I don't know which ones are like the best or which ones encapsulate the last decade of my life or anything like that. Um, but I am gonna foc- I'm just going to focus on the one that I always come back to and I can't get away from, and it's the one that Jesus said which is convenient because this is church. (laughs) Love. He said, if you love me, obey my commands. And if you love me, love each other as I have loved you. Love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Quite a theme that he keeps coming back to, this whole love thing, right? And it turns out that from what I've seen so far, he was right. Our contempt for the simple things can lead us astray. Because just because something is simple does not mean it's easy. And here's what can happen to us. We can actually get stuck in this rut because, because have you ever tried to do something that was really simple but really difficult? Like riding a bike? Anybody remember when you learned how to ride a bike? So it's a it's fairly simple concept, Right? But getting it down is extremely difficult. You fall down a lot getting there. Anybody ever felt the pain, the sting of something that's extremely simple but extremely difficult when you're sitting in math class? Or when you're on a diet? What happens when you are engaged with something that's extremely simple but extremely difficult and you start to experience the pain of frustration? Well, one of the things that we like to do is look at Facebook. I would rather be looking at Facebook than dealing with how ashamed I am that I cannot accomplish this extremely simple thing right now. Right? We distract ourselves. We distract ourselves with all kinds of things. And here's the dangerous part is that sometimes people like me, preachers, will come up here and get up here. And though I am so so frustrated by the simplicity of the reality of what God has asked me to do, but I'm so frustrated by just how dang hard it is. I'll move around some more theologically exciting things to talk to you about. And then we can put our spirituality behind our distraction and actually feel justified in our distraction because we feel like it's from God. And though it may in fact be, and it's good stuff, all all of our theological meanderings are a lot of fun. I enjoy them 
as much as anybody, if anybody has ever listened to me talk, you know that I love to theologically meander around. I love it. But what it all comes down to is the extremely simple reality of love. The meaning of life is love. The, your mission on this earth is love. The kingdom of heaven is unveiled through love. You see, because peace is created by love. Joy is created in the presence of love. Success is given to those from someone who loves them. Thriving, all of these good things that are possible in reality come from a place of love. And notice that I say your mission in life is love. I'm not saying that your mission in life is to love people as though you could do that on your own. Your mission is also to receive love. You were created to be the target of God's love. And so was everyone else in this room, everyone else in this county, everyone else in Georgia, the US, and the world. Each and every person was created the sole purpose of being the target of God's love. So your mission in life, should you choose to accept it, is love. But here's the problem with love. Another little tip that my dad gave me back in the day, and I didn't totally get it until a little bit more recently in life, but he would always say this thing and you know, just to get a rise out of people. Um, just be like, people are no good. That's why Jesus died. He might have thrown a curse word in there that I won't do just to be polite. But it's even better. It's like, anyway. Um. And it's a funny little thing, and you know, he gives it a little bit of attitude, and it's great. But I realized what he was saying is that people screw up. People fall short of the glory of God. People hurt each other. People hurt themselves. People lose sight of, of what is valuable and good. People mess up. And that's why Jesus died. Because if we were perfect then we wouldn't need salvation. You see, we wouldn't even need the whole salvation story if everything was just hunky-dory and great. So his point that he was trying to get across to me and everyone else that he ever told this to, I realized, is he said, and this was another thing he would always say to people, he's like, if I don't meet your expectations, lower them.
Here's the thing. People mess up. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, because I've overcome this world. So here's the deal. If it's true that the reason Jesus had to die is because we mess things up, then it can also be stated to be true that at some point, if you are in relationship with any one person long enough, they are going to let you down. Probably hurt you. Cause sin to enter into your life and into your environment. Right? Most likely. Pretty much everybody that I've ever known for any length of time has done this to me eventually. And anybody who's known me long enough can probably point out sometimes when I've done this to them as well. I let down my wife. I let down my kids. I let down my friends. I let down my employers. I let down my parents. I let down my siblings. I let down God. That's why Jesus died. And I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I'm not bad. I try to be a good person, you know? At least try to be a good person. And I still let everyone down in my life. So if that's true, I can guarantee you that the people in your life will cause you pain. Don't blame me. Jesus said it. In this world, you're going to have trouble. So what's, what am I getting at here? <laughs> what I'm trying to get across to you is that if you can just go ahead and accept that people are going to hurt you now, maybe you won't be so surprised when they do. And if you're not surprised when someone hurts you, then maybe you won't be quite so offended that they hurt you. Maybe that can actually take a little bit of the pressure out of that situation and allow you to have a little bit more grace because you already knew, well, this is this moment right here. This is why Jesus died because you're, you're doing that human thing. And you're just doing the same thing that, that I mean, maybe I would never do what you just did to me. <laughs> right? But there's something totally different that I would probably do every day that I'm totally unaware of. And the people who love me just forgive me day in and day out. <laughs> and are gracious with me. Because you see, fear is usually the way that we live. We say, I'm afraid you might hurt me. I'm afraid you might steal from me. I'm afraid you might violate something that is valuable to me, and so therefore I will put my defenses up to protect me against you. I will mitigate disaster. And I think that it's wisdom 
playing it safe, making sure that things are taken care of. I just, I don't want to make myself too vulnerable. I think that it's wisdom when really I'm actually giving full reign to fear in my life. Which means that I am cutting off the source of love. And here's the problem with that, is that fear makes enemies. I defend myself against you, which then makes you defend yourself against me, and it creates a vicious cycle. Fear creates enemies, while love creates families. See, I am not afraid that my daughter, who is a very physically boisterous person, I do not live in a constant state of fear that she is going to hurt me. I know that she is going to hurt me almost every day. Because she just, I mean, she's full tilt, man. And if she doesn't hurt me, she's probably going to hurt herself or Smith or Allison. Somebody's going to get hurt. And it's not even necessarily because she's mad. Sometimes just because she's so excited. I mean, this morning, I went out to greet her in the parking lot. And it's like, I have this, like, I have this thing that's like, okay, just switches on. I'm like, all right, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready because she sees, she sees me. And the moment she sees me, she's running. She's running because she's excited. Daddy! She's just so excited. And I'm like, you are running on blacktop and you do not pay attention to where your feet are, so I'm ready. At any moment, this could go south in a bad way. I'm ready. This is what it is to be a parent. You're just always ready for something terrible to happen. And now this morning, everything was great. You know, and the more she practices, the better she gets. But also sometimes when she's upset, because she's such a physical t kind of person, the way that she expresses herself is physically. And so sometimes she will hurt, uh, most often actually, she hurts herself when she's upset. Sometimes she hurts Smith. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's Allison. Sometimes it's her toys. She'll just throw something. <laughs> she's broken toys when she's been upset. She's actually damaged something that's very valuable to her because she lost control of her emotions and something got the better of her. But because I love her, my forgiveness is so much more powerful than her pain that she's creating around her in the environment, that when my love meets the pain that she is causing, it completely absorbs it and the pain vanishes and ends there. And what happens is that if you think that um, it's, it's like mamsy-pamsy or kind of weak sauce to be a loving and gentle and kind and forgiving person, you've never actually forgiven anyone. Because, because I can tell you, forgiveness isn't easy. Don't let anyone lie to you and tell you that forgiveness is easy. Because it's not. And don't let anyone lie to you and tell you that forgiveness is immediate. Because it's not. 
You can experience a rush of forgiveness in an immediate moment, but forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness hurts. Because the toddler in you that wants to hit back turns the other cheek. And that toddler that wants to be justified and vindicated gets until the thing that happens is you realize forgiveness hasn't actually happened until something happens inside of you and you are transformed and you say, it is better for me to forgive than for me to hold on. And it is better for you for me to forgive than for me to hold on. And it's better for the people that I care about for me to forgive rather than to hold on. And the damage that you have caused in my life, my response to that is not about retaliation to you. My response to that is about protecting the love in my life. And I will not allow this pain to come to me and be spread and infect everyone else around me. This pain stops here. I will forgive so that this pain has no place to go but straight to hell. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, pain. And here's what happens. If you've ever actually forgiven someone, then you've also seen the powerful transformational properties of forgiveness. That when I forgive my little girl and she is, she is overcome with my love for her in a painful moment, it's amazing how her pain goes away. Her physical pain can go away. Her emotional pain can go away. And then what has happened is I've created a bridge that allows for her to actually see the light of what is better than what she was currently in. And she can see how much more attractive the light of love is than the darkness of pain. And then she is compelled by the, her own divine design that God created inside of her. She is drawn to the light The power of forgiveness creates the capacity for transformation. So if you think that love and forgiveness is mamsy-pamsy, it's because you haven't experienced it yourself and you haven't given it to someone else. Fear makes enemies, but love makes family. And Jesus knew this. He knew how hard forgiveness was. But when he put himself up on that cross, he said, bring it on. You bring me all the pain. You bring me all the sin. You bring me all the death. You bring it all right here because this is where it ends. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not about me getting mine. Love is about is me saying, whatever it takes from me, I'm going to make sure that I take care of you. And it's not about whether or not you deserve it or earn it. You see, it's not up to Felicity to determine whether she gets my love or not. Do you realize how insane that would be? She's two years old. She's all over the map. 
She's all over the map. My love for her is not contingent upon anything that she does or does not do. It is not contingent upon how she feels about me. My love for her is absolute, no matter what. That's it. Now, I fail, obviously, but even in my failure, I don't drop it. It doesn't escape us. So here's the problem. We think that in order for God to forgive me, I gotta get my act together. I gotta, I gotta shape up. It's hard for me to accept that God loves me while I'm yet a sinner. In the midst of my mess is when God's love is ready to meet me. This is hard for me to accept because I think that I somehow have to earn it. I think that somehow I have to prove that I'm worth it so that then some kind of business exchange can happen. And it just doesn't make any sense at all if you consider the fact that you are his child and he is your father. And yet somewhere in our heads, we've got it stuck in there, lodged so deep that we can't seem to get away from it. Here's the problem. It's just as important for me to allow myself to be loved in my mess as it is for me to love others. Because if I cannot allow God to love me in my mess, I don't even know what it is to experience love in imperfection. And if I don't know what it is to experience it, I can't give it away. If I can't be loved when I am imperfect, I cannot love when you are imperfect. I will hold it against you. And what I will spread into the world is poison and fear. I will not be an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. I'll be playing for the other side. Because I have allowed fear to reign supreme in my life rather than love. You see, love does not choose to love because you are trustworthy or you deserve it. Jesus loved Judas when he knew full well what he was going to do. Love is not based on trust. Love is not based on you earning it. Love says, I know you're gonna hurt me. I expect you to hurt me. That's why Jesus died. Love costs us something. You can't love someone without experiencing some kind of pain from them. Here's the thing, is that love cannot survive without forgiveness. And forgiveness cannot exist without love. But if you want to spread light to the darkness, you have to show them what heaven looks like, and heaven is made of love. Which means that our mission is love. Plain and simple. Learn to have grace for yourself. And learn to have grace for others. 
expect them to hurt you and it won't surprise you when they do. Expect yourself to let other people down and it won't and you won't be so ashamed when you do. It does I mean like it doesn't mean that you're not going to try to be a good person. Trust me. This is like one of my main policies in life. It has not affected my ability to to have the highest hopes for others and it hasn't affected my ability to try to be my best me. In fact, it's done the exact opposite. Because by not being surprised when someone hurts me, I'm still able to clearly see the way that God designed them to be rather than being caught up by what just happened in this moment when they let me down. And by knowing that I am flawed and will let people down from time to time, then when I do, I am not overwhelmed by the shame and the guilt and the burden of what just happened. And it's easier for me to allow God's forgiveness to fill my heart, my own forgiveness to come in line with it, and for me to be able to see myself the way that he sees me rather than the way that I just let someone down in the moment. So you see, in both areas, I am able to, to bring heaven to my situation more effectively. That's why real justice looks like grace. Because everything gets better when we administer grace. It's graduation day. You're off on your way. Soaring high heights and all that stuff. This is my, my last message to you from the senior team. And I want to leave you with a little bit of a prophetic picture of where I see Bethel going. And I want to leave you with my blessing Um, it's been one of the greatest joys and deepest honors of my life to get to serve with you, to get to build with you, to get to run with you, to sweat with you, to cry with you, to worship with you, to suffer with you, to grow with you. been an honor to be a part of this family, to call this place home, and to make such good friends along the way. And it's a bittersweet day for me. Thank God it's a little bit sweet and not just bitter. (laughs) But here's the thing that God has shown me is that I actually understand now why this is a win-win for everyone. Because he told me almost a year ago now, when he was trying to convince me that I needed to talk to senior staff about where he was taking me, he said, you know, you've been preparing the ship to set sail. You've been getting it ready. You've been fixing the leaks. You've been putting it all and making sure it's all ready to go. It's watertight and it's good to go. And you've done a great job. But the ship is just about ready to set sail and it's time to select the crew. 
And you know as well as I do that when that thing sets sail, you won't be on it. I've got other plans for you. And if you, if you let them build the crew around you, you will do more harm than good. So if you want to continue benefiting Bethel, you need to let them know. So I did. Uh, reluctantly. <laughs> I was a little scared. I was just scared of the reality of this, really. But what's awesome is that if you know anything about StrengthsFinder, if you've been in school, obviously you know about StrengthsFinder, but my, my number one strength on StrengthsFinder is strategic. And so I could see that in order for me to be able to lend my greatest gift to the church, I needed to not be dancing around some hidden elephant in the room that I'm not actually going to be around. And it was awesome because for the last nine months, we've been doing like this whole like like overhaul reorg with all of our staff and team trying to get everybody in the right places, doing the right stuff, getting this thing ready to go. We've been selecting the crew. And I have been able to play my part in helping to make sure that the crew is ready to dominate the sea. And now here we are and it's time for this thing to set sail and the crew is ready to go. And let me tell you guys, let me tell you, the team is ready to run. I hope you're ready to try to keep up because the winds of change are blowing. And what the glory that you've experienced up to this point will not be the glory that you're about to experience from this point. And here's why I recognize that it's good that I go because it, it dawned on me like I get it what Jesus was saying to his disciples when he said, it's good that I leave you because when I do, the Holy Spirit will come. And what was he saying? He was like, as long as I'm here, your hope is in me. But once I go, you get to recognize that the same Holy Spirit that's in me lives in you and your hope it becomes, I live inside you. And it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And you get to realize just how powerful you are if I go. So that's what Jesus was saying. And that's not my situation. But it's... <laughs> but there's enough similarities that I was like, oh, I get it. Because he was actually showing me that he, he spoke to me about that a while back, and I've been getting to watch the preparation, the process happen, and I'm able to watch this place be ready to set sail, and, it, and I believe that I am actually a prophetic picture of Bethel's destiny. Because I have been here to help build this place from the ground up. I have been here all of these years and I, my heart is here, my sweat and blood and tears, it's all here. It's in the stones. My DNA will forever be here and my heart will forever be here. But the weird thing is to be in my position where it's like things are just about to just be amazing and I'm like going, you know? We're about to go and I'm going it's weird 
But what I recognized is that what I represent today as I stand here, and this is my, my grand finale, and it's time for me to move on, is that I am actually a representation, a picture of the, the period of time that has been the process of preparation is over. It's time to set sail. The time of preparing Bethel Atlanta for the mission that is on her life is over and it is time to go out there. And that starts now. And so what you need to know is that you are in for the ride of your life. The adventure of a lifetime is coming to Bethel Atlanta because Bethel Atlanta... Bethel Atlanta is a city on a hill. And Bethel Atlanta's light will shine to the darkest places. And the people who have been fumbling around in the dark just trying to find their way will suddenly be able to see the bright and glorious light of God our Father. Bethel Atlanta will, will be famous for being a culture changer going to change the culture of Atlanta, of the Southeast, and of even the world. You're going to show people things that are possible that, were, that, that seemed completely impossible until they happened. You know, I mean, if you think about it, like the guy who, uh, I've, stats aren't totally right here, so just bear with me, but the guy who originally had the idea for radio was put into an insane asylum because people thought he was crazy because that's impossible. But now it's something we take for granted. And so there are things that are currently impossible in the world today. Bethel Atlanta is going to actually make possible so reliably that the world can take them for granted. I also believe that Bethel Atlanta will be the place. It, what's, one of the big things that's actually going to put this place on the map is, is we all know that um, blind eyes can be, can be open. And we know that deaf ears can hear. And we know that broken bones can be mended. And we know that cancer can die. And we know that impossible relationships, impossible situations can be, can be mended and, and, and helped by the supernatural power of God. And impossible situations will bend their knee to the name of Jesus. We all know this. And we've seen it here and there. And every single time we see it, it's so exciting and it's so amazing. And what I can tell you for absolute, I mean, I feel this in my bones. You have barely even begun to taste the kind of supernatural intervention that God has destined for Bethel Atlanta. This place is going to be so just ripe and rich and saturated in the miraculous intervention. You will truly say heaven just invades every day. And you'll get the attention of Emory. This is one of those judgeable words. Either I'm right or I'm wrong. But I think Bethel Atlanta is going to get the attention of Emory University. And that, some of the, that the most thorough and reliable scientific research that has ever been done on miraculous healing will be done here 
and it'll change the world. It'll change the scientific community. It'll change the whole world. It'll change the way that the world thinks about health. You see, Bethel Atlanta is not just small potatoes. And sometimes, sometimes when you're just meeting in high school or you're just kind of where, you know, making things happen in whatever way you can, it's easy to despise the days of small beginnings, but those days are over. So let's be grateful for the days of small beginnings because when the, when the glory comes and the world is knocking at your door, you got a whole new set of challenges. When you're small and unknown, it's fun. It's free-for-all. It's all groovy and great. <laughs> but Bethel's the real deal. And um, when Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, I don't want you to take any supplies with you. I don't want you to take any money with you. I just want you to kind of go around and see if you can find a place to stay. And if you find a place that's worthy, if you find a household that's worthy, let your peace remain. But if not, let it return to you. And I have found the household that is worthy. So though I may leave you, I will leave my love with you. And my peace will remain. So I want to bless you. I'm a son of the house, but I'm also a father. And I want to bless you today. I want to give you my blessing that you might carry it with you. Because you see, if we can truly leave a Christ-like legacy, things get better when we leave. <laughs> Not because <laughs> we were such a pain, but because we, we planted something that can grow. Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray for you. Now, here's the thing. When I was in ministry school in Reading, there was a day that Chris Valentin prayed for all of us to receive the gift of prophecy. Okay? And when that happened, I was electrified with this gift of prophecy. It worked. He was standing way over on the other end of the room. There's like 600 people in the room. And he prays, real simple prayer. God, I just, if you, if you know Chris Valentin, he's super intense. He's like, I just impart the gift of prophecy to everyone in this room right now. Amen. And he's like, that was it. <laughs> and I immediately was getting detailed prophetic words for everyone around me. Behind me, beside me, in front of me. My eyes were closed. I was like, whoa. It took me a while to learn how to like turn it down so that I could manage it. But it worked. It hit me. And so here's what I want to do. I want to leave my peace with you. I want to leave my DNA with you. I want to leave my love with you. And I want to bless you individually and corporately. So whatever you got to do to receive, if it's putting your hands out, putting your hands up, sitting down, whatever, closing your eyes, opening your eyes, Holy Spirit, I just invite you to flood this place and flood the hearts and flood the minds of every single person in this room. God, I thank you for the gifts 
in my life. I thank you for the natural gifts, the supernatural gifts. I thank you for the talents. I thank you for the gifts of the people that are in my life. I thank you for all of the wisdom that you have set before me over the years that I've been able to glean from. I thank you for spiritual fathers and mothers in my life that have shown me you. I thank you for giving me not just one good family, but two. Thank you for the opportunity to have such a healthy and thriving place to grow. To grow into more maturity and to grow into, into the destiny and the calling on my life. And I thank you for the honor, for the opportunity to serve such a place that is so precious to you. Holy Spirit, I bless this house. I bless these people. I bless them with my love. I bless them with my peace. I bless them with joy. I bless them with discernment, with wisdom, with revelation, with inspiration. I bless them with prophetic insights to be able to see each other not the way that we are today, but the way that you made us to be, not just in the future, but eternally. I bless them with the capacity to see. I bless them with patience. I bless them with kindness. I bless them with forgiveness. And I bless them with all of the things that I have gleaned from all of the things that you've given me. From the pain, from the battles, that all of the pain that I have endured and overcome. And that all the battles that I have endured and overcome. That you would take the grace that is on my life from those things. And that you would just dole it out freely to each individual in this room. And that you would make a way for them to be able to step into their destiny both collectively and individually, and that you would make a way for them to be able to experience you day in, day out, every moment of their life, that you would make a way for them to see you, to feel you, to smell you, to know you, and that they wouldn't forget to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's just to keep their eyes on you. thank you for the blessing that this house has been to me and I thank you for the blessing that I have been to this house and I just declare today that blessing and increase is what you have in store for us. Bethel, you'll move mountains. My mountain is waiting. And so is yours. So let's get on our way. I love you guys.